Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the welcome table. Where you first came in, you get up and grab one. We are just a couple weeks out from finishing the book of Nehemiah. It's been an amazing journey. I've loved our studies in this book and uh, trust that the Lord still has much for us in these final chapters here. This morning we're continuing our studies of the book of Nehemiah. Today we're looking at the dedication at Jerusalem. Our main text is going to be Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter 12. So, (laughs) thank you. Thank you, Regina, for a vote of confidence. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just praying that all just the Lord knows. I took a lot out of my study last night, so... Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12. For context, back in chapter 7, and it's, you know, it hasn't been that long ago, but after the walls and the gates of Jerusalem were all finished, everything was done. The, 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 the wall had been built up, the gates had been hung, everything was in place. Uh, we saw in chapter 7 that God had put it in Nehemiah's heart to, to gather all the people to register them by genealogy after noting that the city of Jerusalem was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. See, God wanted to get his people back into the city of Jerusalem. He wanted to see the city of Jerusalem flourishing once again. And so he stirred Nehemiah's heart to begin the process of bringing the people back into Jerusalem to live there. But according to the final verse of chapter 7, when the seventh month came, which was about a a month after the walls were completed, we found that the children of Israel were still living in their individual cities. And so the return of people really getting back into Jerusalem and living there is only just now starting to happen in what we're going to find here in chapter 11. Now, there are three aspects to the dedication that happened at Jerusalem, which we're going to see in chapters 11 and 12 in our study today. And we're going to put all the points up on the screen here just to start. But those three aspects of that dedication that we're going to see is that they first, de- the dedication of themselves, we're going to see this in the entirety of chapter 11. Second, we're going to see the the joyful dedication of their praise in chapter 12, verses 1 through 43. And then finally, third, we're going to see a a dedication to keep the charge committed to them in chapter 12, verses 44 through 47. And so with that context in mind, we're going to read all of chapter 11 up front. And then we're going to really just dive deep into each and every number. I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you all the background of every name that we're about to read. No, we're going to read all of chapter 11 up front, and then we're going to hit on a few things. But we're going to see this first aspect of dedication that happened at Jerusalem, and that's the dedication of themselves. And so chapter 11, get ready. Pray for me. Here we go. Verse 1. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, notice. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who dwelled in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession. In their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalalel, of the children of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Colhose, the son of Hazaiah, the son of Adaiah, the son of Joyarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shilani, all the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Verse 7, and these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Padeah, the son of Kaleah, the son of Maseah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jesheah, and after him, Gabai and Salai, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Senua, was second over the city. Of the priests, verse, verse 10, Jedeah, the son of Joyarib, and Jachin, Sareah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the leader of the house of God. Their brethren who did the work of the house were 822, and Adeah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Peleah, uh, Pelaliah, sorry, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pasher, the son of Malchijah, and his brethren, heads of the father's houses, were 242, and Amishai, the son of Azarel, the son of Azai, the son of Meshilameth, the son of Immer, and their brethren, mighty men of valor, again, were 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of one of the great men. Verse 15, also of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashum, the son of Azrakam, the son of Hashabai, the son of Buni, Shabbatai and Josabad of the heads of the Levites had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer. Bakbukiah, the second among his brethren, and Abda, the son of Shamua of SeaWorld in San Diego. <laughs> the son of Galal. The son of Jedithan. That was a joke. We all got that. All the Levites, if anyone listens to it later on and thinks that that was like I was being serious. No, we're good. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. Moreover, the gatekeepers, Akub, Talmon, and their brethren who kept the gates were 172. And the rest of Israel and the priests and Levites were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in, in his inheritance. But the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the Nethanim. Also the overseers of the Levites at Jerusalem was uh, Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Micah, the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers a quota day by day. Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, 
Of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. Verse 25, And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kirjath Arba and its villages, Debon and its villages, Jacabzeel and its villages, in Jeshua, Molada, Bethpalet, Hazar Shual, and Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and Mekonah and its villages, in Enrimon, Zorah, Jarmuth, Zanua, Adullam, and their villages, in Lachish and its fields, in Azekah and its villages, they dwelt from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Also the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in Michmash, Ijah and Bethel and their villages, in Anathoth, Nob, and Ananiah, in Hazor, Ramah, Gitaim, in Hadid, Zebuim, Nebalat, in Lod, Ono, Ono, and the Valley of Craftsmen. Some of the Judean divisions of Levites were told it were in Benjamin. The, the first thing I want to point out in light of that first aspect I referenced, the, the dedication of themselves, is that the leaders led by returning to Jerusalem first. That they, they set the example of dedication to what God desired in them returning to Jerusalem for the rest of the people. They didn't say, you know what, everyone else go. I know it's going to be kind of states. That's why no one's gone back before this. The houses are still in rubble inside the city. So there's going to be a lot of work that you're going to step into to have to live back inside Jerusalem. You guys go ahead. You get things started, we'll kind of, we'll come later. After everything's sort of rebuilt, everything's nice, businesses are in place, everything's sort of set up, there's a, sort of a community camaraderie thing going on again, then we'll, no, they didn't do that. They're like, let's go first. Let's go. It's the same sort of attitude that we saw when they first started building the, the wall of Jerusalem, the, the priests, the religious leaders, the spiritual heads were the ones who first started to build. It, it's just a reminder that leaders have to lead. Leaders have to lead. Leaders lead. They, they set the tone. They, they do the things that need to be done. They don't tell others to do it and then they follow behind. And man, can't we, we can respect and appreciate when someone's like, man, they're doing it. They, they, it, they don't ask somebody else to do something that they wouldn't do or they haven't done. Man, we, we can respect, we can get behind that. Jesus did that. He didn't, you know, he didn't tell his disciples like, hey, take up your, pick up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And then he's like, yeah, you guys go ahead. You do the whole cross thing first. Don't worry, I'll do it later. When we see that Jerusalem, you know, Jesus finally set his face to go to Jerusalem, it's, we're told as, as Jesus went up to Jerusalem that he led the way before the disciples. And there's just something about that, that godly leadership that's so, it, 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 that's something for me that's like, Lord, I, I want to be that person. I want to lead that way. But I think, all of us have leadership sorts of influence 
with whatever sphere the Lord has put us in, even if we kind of hold the lowest rung in any setting that we might be in, we can lead in godly sorts of ways, can't we? And we should. And after the leaders returned to dwell in Jerusalem, we see in verse 1 that they decided who else would return. They did this by the casting of lots. This was a pretty common way for them to do it. It was sort of like a draft lottery. But I, I love this. It says that one out of ten. We remember in chapter 10, this closing emphasis in the second part of the chapter of, of the tithe. The people tithe. They tithe and they brought the first. And, they, and we see this sort of emphasis even in how the city of Jerusalem was going to be repopulated. It was a tithe of the people. One out of ten. And I just, I, I see this theme of God going like, I, I still want to do that sort of thing. That, that we would prioritize sort of the heart of God, the way God does things. That those one out of ten would return to living in Jerusalem. The rest would get to dwell in other cities. But then in verse 2, there were some others who were, to, who were told, decided to live in Jerusalem, who did not get chosen by lot, by, but who willingly offered themselves to dwell at, at Jerusalem, and that the, the people blessed all those who willingly dedicated themselves in that way. See, God wanted his people to live and flourish in the city of Jerusalem again, and the, the work of revival that he brought about in his people in the previous few chapters has now led to, to some of the people willingly offering themselves to be uprooted from where they were living, all the normalcy and the comforts and the communities that they were a part of, the, the business sort of dynamic that they had set up for themselves wherever it was that they had lived before, and they uprooted themselves and their families, if they had a family, to move into Jerusalem where stuff was still in shambles, to be a part of something new that God was wanting to do there, and it didn't even have anything to do with what they were going to do. It just had to do with them being present. You know, sometimes we just get so focused on the thing. Lord, what's the thing? What's the activity that you want for my life? But this example even that we see sort of here of like, of just going like, Lord, here I am. Just do whatever you want with me, Lord. I just want to be present. I want to be accessible, Lord. I want to be available. I want to be useful, Lord, and, and part of my usefulness is just being there. It's being there for you to use me. It's being there for you to direct me. What these people did here reminded me of what Paul wrote to believers in Romans chapter 12. Paul said this in Romans 12 verse 1. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You didn't ever put a live animal on the altar. Ever. Ever. The moment that that animal got close to the fire, that animal would be trying to get away, It'd bolt. If you try to throw the animal up onto the altar, I mean, that animal would hop off so quick. The animal was always killed first before being put onto the altar. And then Paul starts writing to the believers here, and he's like, I beseech, I'm pleading with you. Not by my, like, my thing. This isn't like... This is, hey, this is just what I would really like to see you guys do. By the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice. That, that the Lord looks at us and he's going, I'm not going to force you. But I want you to be willing to sort of get up onto that altar that what comes out of our lives would truly be, well, just like that animal sacrifice would be, a fragrant aroma to the Lord. There's a willingness in that passage. And I, and I think for us that the Lord would kind of Present that to us even this morning. Do we willingly offer ourselves, every bit of us, every bit of our lives to the Lord and whatever it is that he wants for our lives in us and through us? Because if I'm honest with myself, there's times where I jump off. It's not always comfortable to be a living sacrifice before the Lord, to have every bit of me fully surrender to him and whatever he wants. But there's a blessing. There's a blessing in willingly offering ourselves, not just offering what we have, because actually sometimes that can be the easier thing, just throw money at it. Lord, I'm serving you. Boom. But then there's like this other, like, but, but really surrendering our, our lives? That could be a lot harder. Not just what we have, but more so offering who we are to the Lord. These people here, Nehemiah's day, they, they, they sort of are the, the Old Testament example of this for us. Now, what we find throughout the majority of the rest of this chapter is a, is a record of who these heads of the province were who dwelt in Jerusalem, except for the, the, the last portion of verses, verses 25 through 36, which tells us which villages the rest of the returned exiles lived in in Judah. But, but in the names listed in this chapter is also a, a valuing of the people. Yes, in the eyes of, of Nehemiah, who was making sure to list these people, but, but more so a valuing in the eyes of God, who took note of who these people and who these families were, who made the sacrifice to uproot 
from where they'd been to where God wanted them to be. And part of why God wanted Jerusalem to be repopulated was because the people made the city. The people made the city. I mean, when we see a city that doesn't have any people, usually we say something about the city. We call it a ghost town. It, it might be an attraction, but it's like, this is weird. There's a, there's a city, there's structures, but there's no people. This is like a weird thing. The people made the city. And God wanted Jerusalem to be the place of worship. He desired it to be again. For it to be the witness to the surrounding nations and the rest of the world that he had always wanted it to be. Another thing, though, is without people living in Jerusalem, the, the city would lack protection. It would lack defense. And God didn't want his holy city to be unprotected and, and vulnerable now that it had been rebuilt. Now, we've seen this dedication of themselves in chapter 11, but the dedication of themselves is going to lead to this second aspect of dedication that happened at Jerusalem. And, and that's the, the joyful dedication of their praise as we're going to see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 43. But let's read chapter 12, verses 1 through 26 to, to get into this chapter here. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Mal Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Edu, Ginnathoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Matia, Bilga, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jadea, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, and Jadea. These were the heads of the priests and their brethren in the days of Jeshua. Moreover, the Levites were Jeshua, Binui, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Madaniah, who led the thanksgiving psalms, he and his brethren. Also, Bach, Bukaya, and Uni, their brethren, stood across from them in their duties. Jeshua begot Joachim. Joachim begot Eliashib. Eliashib begot Joiada. Joiada begot Jonathan. And Jonathan begot Jadua. Verse 12, Now in the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of the father's houses, were of Sareah, Mereah of Jeremiah, Hananiah of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehonanan, of Meliku, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Haram, Adna, of Marioth, Helkai, of Edo, Zechariah, of Ginnathon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, the son of Minjamin, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bilga, Shamua, another Shamua, of Shemiah, Jehonathan, of Joyarib, Madani, of Jadea, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jadea, Nathanel. During the reign of Darius the Persian, likely a reference to Darius the Second, 
A record was also kept of the Levites and priests who had been heads of their father's houses in the days of Eliashib, Joiada, Johanan, and Jadua, the sons of Levi, the heads of the father's houses, until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib, were written in the book of the Chronicles. And the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers across from them, to praise and give thanks, group alternating with group, according to the command of David, the man of God. Madaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmon, and Akub were gatekeepers, keeping the watch of the storerooms of the gates. These lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josedak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. We did it. We're getting closer. Here, in these verses, we're given a record of some of the priests and the Levites who served since the time when Zerubbabel was governor to that present time when Nehemiah was governor. And included in this list is the different Levites over the course of those years who were involved in leading the Thanksgiving Psalms, we're told, and those who were assigned in alternating groups by the command of David, the man of God, some 400 years earlier to praise and give thanks. But now with the walls and the gates being rebuilt, there was a, a fresh opportunity for these priests and Levites living at this time to see new joyful dedications of praise take place. See, the, the worship life of the, of the people needed to flourish. And, and God wanted to do that. God wanted to receive the worship that he deserved. And now was the time for that to happen. And so, continuing on into verse 27 now through verse 30. Take a smaller chunk here. Verse 27, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal and Gal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Not all the Levites returned to living in Jerusalem. So they sought out the Levites, brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication of the wall with gladness, with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the central component to the dedication of the rebuilt wall to the Lord was worship. It was worship with gladness, thanksgivings, with singing, different kinds of musical instruments, all with the intention, all with the goal of praising God for what he had done. The dedication of the wall was the people's way of saying, God, it's yours. It's yours. You know, it can be easy for us as we're doing something to, to sense like, God, you're in it and you're helping me and you're making this happen. 
But sometimes what ends up happening when you come to the end of that thing is you kind of get settled, or, or what can happen is you can get settled into this place of feeling like, but, you know, I did a lot. I mean, the wall, yeah, I mean, but we did a pretty good job. Like, this wall's kind of, kind of ours, too. It's kind of our wall. <laughs> like, we were the ones doing all the work. And to be able to have that sort of attitude of heart to go, no, Lord, you did it and it's all yours. Yeah, we were instruments in your hands. Yeah, we were there. Yes, we were the ones that were clearing away the rubble and grabbing the stones and putting everything in the place. But Lord, none of it would have happened if you hadn't done it, Lord. This, this thing wouldn't have even gotten started if you hadn't called Nehemiah from over 800 miles away in Shushan to bring him here to rally us to this work that you wanted to be done. God, it's all you and it all belongs to you. And, and what an important thing for you and me to grab a hold of an, an attitude for you and me to adopt as the people of God. To not just like dedicate something like, yeah, of course, Lord, that's yours. Of course, Lord, you did that. The things that are blatantly miraculous, Lord, that's you. That's all you. But to see God's hand in all the different parts of our lives so that we hold things with an open hand that it all belonged to him in the first place. What do you and I have that God hasn't gifted to us? Well, I worked for my paycheck. Well, who created you? Who gave you strength in your limbs? Who gave you a mind to think? Who gave you favor in your job? Who continues to give you breath in your lungs, a beat in your heart? Who gives you the ability to stand and figure things out? It's all him. Every bit is his. Those of us that have kids, they belong, they're gifts from him. They belong to him. God, it's all you. And what a perspective shift that happens because what happens is we can cling to things that we feel, we feel belong to me. And then when God's wanting to do something a little bit different, when he's wanting to change or refine or maybe he's wanting to prune away something in our lives because he knows what he's doing. doesn't feel like it in the moment. When God's pruning stuff, it's like, Lord, what, what's happening? Everything was great. He prunes even fruitful things so that more fruit comes. Not just the dead stuff, even the fruitful stuff. But to be able to go, but Lord, it, it all belongs to you anyways. Lord, my life, these relationships, this job, the house, the vehicle, Lord, whatever, all of it, it's all yours. Because when that happens in our lives, we can start to dedicate things to the Lord joyfully. Not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, like, well, I guess I have to give this to the Lord. Willingly, joyfully, with rejoicing. Not a have to, a get to. God, it's all yours. That's what these people are doing here. That's why there's so much joy. And Lord, you did it. 
You did it, Lord. This wall's yours. We're dedicating it back to you. But in these verses, we see that part of the dedication involved purification of the priests and Levites and the rest of the people and the gates and the wall. So, you know, they've got holy water and they're sprinkling. No, that's not what, that's not what happened. Purification in these days would have involved an uh, animal being sacrificed. And then the blood of that animal being sprinkled on something or someone. And that's what happened. The purification was a sprinkling of, of, of the blood of, a, of, of, of another. Purification happened through the application of the sacrificial blood of another. Doesn't that remind us of something else? The blood of another. To know that that pure, maybe in the, in the truest sense, not in the day-to-day -day practical sanctification sort of sense that we might think, which there is some of that too. But in that imparting of righteousness, in that receiving of the Spirit, of being born again by the Spirit of God, receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ, that happens through the blood of another, Jesus' blood being applied to your and my heart by faith. That we could stand before a holy God, not in our dirty rags of self-righteousness that are just filthy in God's sight, but to actually stand before a holy God for him to go, yeah, I see Jesus. I see Jesus' righteousness in you. You know, it's impossible to really dedicate our lives to the Lord, not in the truest sense, if impurity, if, if sin exists in our lives that's defiling us and our relationship with the Lord. But praise God, there's cleansing, purification, forgiveness that's made available to each and every one of us who confess our sins to the Lord knowing that he's faithful, he's, he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousnesses. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You know, there's so much potential in the eyes of the Lord, for the, for the glory of the Lord, for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus in a life that is holy to the Lord, pure before the Lord and dedicated fully to him. You know, and I think even just talking about that, there might be that practical aspect of our lives where we, we know us. We, we might look at our lives and we might look at our struggles and feel like, I can't really come to this place in a place of like dedicating myself fully. There's always going to be a part of me that's sort of withheld from the Lord because of this this thing in, in my life that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm struggling with or I don't see, seem to gain victory over. And, and to feel like, well, then I guess it's just not, that's not really for me. You know, other people, yeah, they can dedicate themselves fully to the Lord. There's, there's that, there could be that purification that happens, but it's sort of elusive in my life. 
But, but to know that the key to, to getting to that place is, is actually found in the first thing that we considered. And that's just bringing ourselves to the Lord and saying, Lord, I surrender all of me to you. God, have every bit of me. Do whatever you want with me. That's, that is not an easy thing to say to God. Why? Because God will take us at our word. He hears it and he's like, cool. Let's go. And then he starts to do stuff and shakes up. Oh, Lord, what's that? It's too fast. Lord, what are you doing? Not that, Lord. When I was talking about cleaning house, I wasn't meaning that part of the house. Don't. But God will do it. He wants to do it. To, to know that, gosh, there's so much joy found in a life that's just dedicated fully to him. There's a blessing in that place. But, but let's continue on in, in this second aspect of dedication. Verses 31 through 43. Verse 31, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. One to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. That was a really smelly job. It's a joke. Refuse. After them went Hosea and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward, the other Thanksgiving choir, verse 38, went the opposite way. And I, this is Nehemiah speaking, was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Minjamin, Micaiah, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. Also, Maseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. The singers sang loudly with Jezrahiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. I love it that the hearing afar off happened after the women and children part. Like, man, that really like, that just like kicked it up into high gear, like. Yeah, it was great and it was loud, but like then it really was like, man, this is great. It was 
women and kids like really contributed. I love that. This is a powerful scene here that the enemies of the Jews never would have believed could happen. See, back in chapter 4, when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that the Jews were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, we saw that they were furious. They were very indignant. They mocked the Jews. And that in their mocking, Tobiah the Ammonite had said, you know what, whatever they build... If even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Implying that the wall the Jews were rebuilding would be poorly made, that it would be weak, and that it would be easily broken down. But now with the dedication of the wall to the Lord, we see Nehemiah, I believe, very intentionally bringing all of these people. I mean, very specifically, it says two large Thanksgiving choirs. Bring all these people up onto the wall. These big, two large Thanksgiving choirs, the leaders of the people encircling the top of the rebuilt wall. One group led by Ezra, the other group led by Nehemiah. And in doing this, the wall that their enemies mocked as being weak became a witness to their enemies of the strength of their God. And it became a sort of platform to broadcast the praise of their God. Not only were the choirs and leaders singing loudly and playing their instruments on top of the wall, the rest of the people, women and children included in that, also rejoiced with great joy. Why? Because God had caused them to rejoice with great joy. A great joy that not only was seen in their singing of praise, but also seen in their offering of great sacrifices, as we're told. With a powerful outcome, as I mentioned, that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. People afar off heard their joy. Notice it doesn't say they heard their singing. That's not the emphasis here. They heard their joy. They heard their joy. That would have been a powerful witness to those who heard, but it's also a powerful witness to those around us too, when people can both hear and see the joy of the Lord in our lives, regardless of our circumstances. But, but now finally, let's look at the third aspect of dedication which we find in the final verses of this chapter, and that's a dedication to keep the charge committed to them in verses 44 through 47. So verse 44, And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of, of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old were, the, were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. 
They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. What we find here is that the commitments the people made in chapter 11 regarding the, the first fruit offerings and the tithes, they had been making good on. They were not neglecting the house of their God, but they were doing what was necessary to care, to take care of God's house and to take care of those who served at God's house, the temple. And because the first fruit offerings and the tithes of the people were being brought to the temple, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse there at the temple, connected to the temple to make sure everything was being gathered in like it was supposed to, and so that the priests and Levites were being taken care of like they were supposed to, because the people of Judah, as we're told in verse 44, rejoiced over the priests and Levites who minister. The people were dedicated to keeping their commitments to the Lord in not neglecting the house of their God. But as we see clearly in verses 45 through 47, those who served at the temple also were dedicated. And we see their dedication and the rest of the people's dedication and how they all kept the charge that was committed to them, a charge that had been given by David and Solomon hundreds of years beforehand that they were committed to carrying out at that moment and into the future. The, the revival of the previous chapters led to the dedication we've seen in chapters 11 and 12, a dedication of their lives, a dedication of their joyful praise, which included their purification, and a dedication, really, to faithfully serve the Lord and the things he had called them to. And I believe these three things are things the Lord wants to see happen and wants to bring about in our lives through the work of the Spirit and His grace. But, but, but guys, it, it begins again with just simple surrender. Just surrender. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, there, there are themes here in this study today. I, I, I'm confident that the Lord, because his word is powerful, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's life-giving, it's convicting and correcting that, that there's stuff here for us today where the Lord is maybe putting his finger on areas of, of dedication in our lives. Things that he may be wanting to draw us out to in our relationships with him. Whether that's just, you know what, I, I need to bring myself fully to the Lord. I, I think it can be easy for some people, they, they feel like, gosh, if I really dedicate myself fully to the Lord, he's going to make me do something I just don't want to do. He's going to send me somewhere I don't want to go. Single people might think that he's going to make me marry someone I don't want to marry. I mean, if I dedicate myself fully to the Lord, I'm not in control anymore. He is. But really, who's in control? Is it really you and me? Those things that we feel like, I need to have this, this control in my life. The only thing that we're doing there is, is robbing God from having an opportunity to do something. 
in those areas that we have a death grip on. Dedication of ourselves. Is God asking too much from us? Leaders lead the way, right? We talked about that in the beginning. The one who gave all for us is not asking for a greater sacrifice from you and me. Jesus gave it all. No one could have given more than him. Leaving perfection, leaving glory, leaving the, the constant worship of angels to come here in our mess, to walk among us, to deal with disciples who just couldn't figure things out and they're arguing about who's the greatest and, and then to give his life for us to take all of our sin upon himself. And he's given everything. And all he's asking in return is to say, I just want you. I want your heart. I want your, I want your allegiance. I want your worship. And to know that just in, in just focusing on that first aspect, that God will bring about the other two that we've looked at and considered today. He'll do that. He'll make those things happen. For, for us to just get our focus back onto Jesus today. To be reminded of all that he's done. That because of his shed blood, you and I get to be saved, forgiven, sealed. Given the promise of eternity with him. We have an amazing God. If you've come this morning and you've not just first opened your heart to the Lord, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There's something about knowing that one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. That for those who are believers, there's this like really, there's like a relief in it. Like, man, Lord, I'm going to bow before you. I can't wait for that day. But to be on the other side of that, a person who the blood of Jesus has not been applied to your life, you're standing in your self-righteousness, hoping that it's going to be enough. And it's not. That he's going, look, I don't even want that. I don't even want anything that you could try to produce of your own devising. I just, I want to provide salvation as a gift of my grace. To know that you can have your sins forgiven. This morning, your guilt erased, that the thing that is a, a place of shame in your life removed. And all he's saying is just come to me in humility. So repent of your sin and turn in faith to him. Is that anybody this morning where you need the blood of Jesus? And it's, we're not talking, no one's going to sacrifice an animal here. Sometimes we use language like this is like, well, it's weird. It's kind of creeping me out. But spiritually, to have his sacrifice applied, his, his promise, his gift, what he's provided, applied to your life by faith this morning, he wants to do that. But he wants it to be willing on your part. Would you stand if that's you this morning and you're just going, I want that for me. I want Jesus' salvation. I want my sin forgiven. I want to be made a new creation in Christ. Well, Lord, as we've taken in your word this morning, God, you know where each is at, Lord. 
God, you know those areas, Lord, where maybe you're, you're drawing us out. This subject of dedication, this area of dedication that, Lord, maybe you're just wanting to graciously and lovingly just put your finger on some things in our lives. Some of these areas that we've considered, maybe it's stuff that I didn't even talk about, Lord, that you're speaking into someone's life even now. That, God, they would respond to whatever that is, God, in faith, in obedience, in humility, in surrender. God, would every bit of us be dedicated to you? Lord, would we truly be those living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you? that our lives would be that act of worship that's well-pleasing. God, that you would give us joy. God, that there'd be a joyful dedication of our praise. God, we wouldn't withhold the praise that you deserve, the worship that you deserve, Lord. God, we would offer it to you continually. God, that others would see, they'd hear, they'd sense, God. They'd witness your joy in our lives. Your work in our lives, God. Your strength, Lord, in our lives. And God, would we serve you, Lord, faithfully in those things that you're calling us to in our home, in our workplaces, God, in our neighborhoods, in our community at large, Lord, here in your church, God, wherever it might be. God, use us for your kingdom and glory. And Lord, if anyone, maybe they, they didn't stand, but maybe, Lord, there's, a, there's just, in their own hearts, Lord, they know, God, what's lacking is, there's a lack of purification. It just starts with a, a lack of your salvation, Lord. They need God to surrender their lives to you to receive your gift of salvation, Lord. They need to put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and Jesus himself, Lord, that this morning, even now, God, there'd be that humility, Lord. They'd humble themselves before you. They'd cry out to you, Lord. They'd confess their sin. God, would you save them? Would you seal them? God, make them new. Give them your righteousness, Lord, as they repent of their sin and turn in faith to you. God, maybe for others, Lord, they're, they're those that have been, Lord, caught up in prodigal living, Lord. They, they're feeling like the, the blessing and the, the rich life, the, the, the flourishing life is going to be found somewhere else apart from you. Lord, that this morning they would return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. God, that there'd be a fresh moment of surrender between them and you. Lord, have your way, Lord, in our lives. Have your way in this church, God. It all is yours. Every bit of it belongs to you, Lord. If we haven't done it yet, Lord, we, de we dedicate every bit of who we are, every bit of this church, Lord, every bit of your work, Lord, to you. Be glorified, Lord. And Lord, a response to your word, Lord, we want to be those who, who bring that joyful dedication of praise. God, who lift our voices and our hearts to you.
God. We thank you, Father. We're so, Lord, just in awe of who you are, Lord. That, Lord, you've given everything for us. Lord, thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, communion to my right. Take during these closing songs back to your seat. Prayer counselors in the corner would love to pray for you. Anything that's going on in your life, let's continue to press into the, into the Lord in this time.